If we are to meet global climate goals and avert the most catastrophic effects of climate change, we need to significantly scale up the deployment of renewable energy. And that means taking every opportunity to get more renewables onto the grid, whether on land, on rooftops, or on water. Floating PV is an exciting technology that allows solar plants to be built on water, typically old quarries, extraction pits, or reservoirs. It's a relatively recent development with larger commercial installations starting to appear within the last five to six years. And today there are more than 300 installations worldwide. In this podcast, we're going to look at the global spread of floating PV, the benefits it brings, and the opportunities for wider utilization. We'll also talk about the technology itself, draw on some real-world examples, and look ahead to what the future holds. Joining me to discuss this are Tony Weigel, Head of Project Management for Floating PV here at Bivar RE, and Willem Bihovel, Head of Project Management Energy Projects from our Dutch subsidiary, Groenleven. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can check out other podcasts and content at rethink-energy.com. Welcome, Tony and Willem. Good morning. Hi, Mike. Nice to be here. Let's dive in straight away then. Um, we gave a little bit of an overview um, in the intro, but can you can you go in a little bit more detail about the main benefits for floating PV, kind of what it is, what are the benefits of it, um, and the key drivers that we've seen for its growth around the world? Um, Tony, did you want to start? Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, ground-mounted PV has been used uh, a lot in the last years, and there was a huge growth so far. But of course, at the moment, also the land gets scarce, so we have to use to look for new possibilities to deploy more PV uh, around the world. And there's, of course, the water, which is covering most of our Earth here. A very good opportunity to also apply PV there. So there were, therefore, many people are also now looking into the application of, of floating PV panels on inland water bodies. There's a huge potential around the world, and also the deployment is going more and more in that direction to reduce the land use conflict and reduce to use um, agriculture lands for energy production, but rather use unused water bodies. There was a big um, growth in the last years in Asia, but now it also arrived to Europe, mainly to the Netherlands. So maybe Willem wants to go on um, speaking a little bit about, about the drivers in the Netherlands specifically. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, thanks, Tony. It's uh, indeed, especially a country like the Netherlands, a lot of water in the Netherlands as well. Uh, it, it's known for that, um, yeah, for that reason also actually fighting against the water uh, with the dikes uh, and uh, other uh, installations to keep the water out. But like Tony said, indeed, to, um, let's say, preserve land uh, and especially, uh, again, the Netherlands, it's a small country, uh, a lot of people, it's densely populated, so scarcity is... Um, is around for uh, good locations for for PV in this case, and therefore, uh, especially at the moment on inland water bodies, a great solution for uh, installing PV on water. And um, about five, yeah, five to six years ago, I guess the idea came up at Groenleven before joint Bywa, and um, they started to basically take the phone book and uh, and and look around for the uh, sandpit locations and started talking to the sandpit owners with the idea, hey, we can we can do floating PV. I mean, we can make a, a, a solar module float. And um, and that's sort of how it started uh, in the Netherlands. And a lot of these sandpit owners were really enthusiastic. And um, uh, and then the idea started to develop. And um, in the end, around 2018, Groenlever uh, joined Bywa, and it started to become in a very rapid development there with the first rollout uh, end of 2018. So... 
scarcity of land is then indeed one uh, one aspect um, and obviously during the process of installing a lot of uh, PV cooling or uh, the cooling effect of the water has a positive effect on the on the production of the plant and these water bodies are usually also unused uh, after uh, finishing uh, uh, dredging the sand uh, they're not used for recreation. I mean, ecologically, they are not the most yeah, superb locations. I mean, yes, they are important uh, around the uh, the shorelines, but uh, they're pretty deep. So uh, in that sense, also a perfect location for floating PV. How many of these lakes are there out there? I mean, if these are just largely unused water bodies, not doing anything else, so there's clearly then potential for them to be utilised in this way. But you know, how how many? What's the kind of potential that we have? I don't know. In, in the Netherlands, in Europe, it's, is it um, significant? Maybe starting from the global perspective, there was a, a very nice study from the World Bank uh, a few years back, where they identified that there would be a potential of 400 gigawatt of floating PV if we would just use one. 1% of the unused um, man-made sweet water reservoirs. So reservoirs which were created by mankind to, to store water and so on. Uh, there would be already a potential of 400 uh, gigawatt worldwide, which is a huge potential. And I think especially if we go on these uh, drinking water reservoirs as well, we can also reduce the evaporation and therefore also uh, having more water preserved in these lakes for drinking water in the end. And that's a pretty vast amount of potential power then that could be generated. And with our, I think it was some 300 applications or commercial scale applications around the world, what what is the capacity at the moment? And presumably we are a long way off from even scratching the potential then of, of floating PV. That's also right. I mean, just a few years back, we only had a few megawatt installed worldwide. But now the total global installed capacity has surpassed the 3.5 gigawatt. So that's already a benchmark. So it, it's becoming more uh, commercially viable. But to get to the 400 uh, gigawatt there, we still have uh, a long way to go. And what's kind of holding that back at the moment? Is that is that just because it's quite new and the technology is still evolving? Or are there other considerations, other barriers that are, that are slowing down the rollout? There could be uh, different uh, reasons indeed for uh, um, slowing down the rollout at the moment, I think. Uh, maybe it depends also on the location uh, you know, around the world. If we are looking, I think, at Europe, and then I can speak definitely for the Netherlands, um, it becomes harder and harder uh, in terms of permitting and guess everything that's needed around that the number of lakes get you know uh, there's less availability of that because uh, there's more competition as well and then yeah more research i guess is required as well from the authorities that's uh, that's slowing it, it you know down a bit uh, it takes it takes longer to uh, to realize those projects uh, and on the other side of course at the moment the higher uh, component prices, you know, don't help either, uh, and delivery times of uh, of components, of course, and the scarcity in the market. So uh, that's contributing to, I guess, a bit of a slower rollout at the moment. And we come back to some of those perceived impacts a little later in the uh, in the conversation. But we you know we, we talked about all around the world. I think I read that a lot of the uh, installations and, and the biggest installations tend to be clustered in in China. Um, but 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 where else are we seeing um, applications around the world? Um, we've touched on a few countries in Europe, but is, is it is it truly global? 
I mean, also in Japan, there is a lot of installations going on because they have yeah, very little land available and a lot of water. So therefore, also Japan with the high tariffs, they were also early mover in, in floating PV. But as you said, yeah, mainly China, also some other countries in Southeast Asia are picking up now as their permitting is also a bit quicker than what we have here in Europe right now. But right now in Europe, we see in in most of the countries, really developments uh, for floating PV starting. It's not yet deployed because the permitting process are quite long. But um, I also just yesterday heard again about some projects in, in Israel, other projects also in South America. So I think um, it's just a matter of time when globally uh, floating PV will be installed. So we, we talked about a number of the benefits of floating PV and particularly in countries where land is an issue or, or land constraints are a consideration, but where we see those applications in China where presumably land is not at such a premium and floating PV um, obviously um, taking off there, is that then just on the, the benefits of floating PV, the economic viability of floating PV that are seeing it succeed in countries where, where land isn't at such a premium? Yeah, in China, they realized mostly like very large um, power plants and floating PV on, on unused uh, coal mines or big mines. And there they had like no other use for these. So um, the land was just uh, very easy to be obtained. Therefore, they said, let's let's deploy floating PV there to also use the, the possibilities of good connection close there. And, and the, the government also wanted to, to push their floating PV. That's why I think um, they really... Uh, hit off quickly there with very large power plants on floating PV there. And where else in Asia are we seeing floating PV spread particularly? Well, apart from China, mainly in, in Japan, where they had uh, very little land uh, availability, but also in other markets in Southeast Asia like Vietnam or Thailand, there's also some floating PV plants installed already. So theoretically, I mean, it could go anywhere where you have a unused body of water, floating PV could be a potential application. Of course. The, the, the most important thing is that it's really unused because we don't want to uh, become into any issues with uh, ecology. We really want to focus on unused water bodies. So that's the most important. But anywhere where we have unused water bodies, floating PV uh, has potential to, to be deployed. And looking at Europe and, and Willem, we talked about the Netherlands. So how widely has floating PV spread there? Kind of how many projects have you been involved in yourself? Is it now sort of becoming pretty commonplace across the country? Talking from the perspective of Groenleven Bijwaard, definitely, um, you know, uh, for us it's become a bit more commonplace. I guess we were the first movers in the market. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, I guess we saw the opportunity back five, six, seven years ago and really started to take off in 2018 with a small or relatively small uh, project. We started with about two megawatt and then uh, and really um, yeah, took off 2019, 20 and 21. Now, so far, we've brought together 11 floating projects in the Netherlands, uh, totaling you know, to about uh, 200 megawatts, um, uh, which is fantastic. And then you also slowly see a little bit more competition, but in the markets in the Netherlands, I guess we're still talking, you know, 90, 95% has been installed by uh, by Bio Groenleven, so that's um, that's great. And and on that scale, I mean, 
um, we've been able to uh, implement a few large scale projects, you know, plus 20 megawatt, where uh, some competitors are really looking at uh, five, six megawatt projects, you know, as, as sort of their biggest uh, feed. So that's really good. It really has pushed the market and uh, I guess brought about some more competition. As you may know, there's also quite a few water basins available around farms or uh, around the uh, the glass houses uh, where they do um, a lot of um, a sort of vegetable uh, growth and uh, they've got these water um, basins as well but they're a lot smaller but uh, they're also being used for uh, for for small floating pv installations so uh, in the netherlands it has i think really taken off and um there are really some other ideas about bigger um, lakes and uh, and locations to uh, to expand and again sort of coming back to the permitting side that becomes all a little bit harder and um, yeah more research and more uh, study and, and and more documentation is required to um, to convince authorities that this is a good idea yeah slowly but surely i think you see places like belgium of course germany uh, france spain italy uh, greece i guess everywhere it's slowly actually uh, picking up um, with the first projects coming online so uh, that's really good to see and you mentioned um, Germany there Willem Tony I know we've, we've recently had um, our first floating PV project in Germany hopefully hopefully the first of many what's what's the potential then taking a market like Germany and are we seeing similar kind of opportunities and similar um, obstacles and barriers to getting that um, technology rolled out more widely is it again a, an education issue or a permitting issue or what are some of the obstacles yeah it's it's exactly those obstacles which Willem also mentioned before we're looking at the potential specifically for Germany in Biva we analyzed that in in very much detail um, to really find the the most unused water bodies, and even um, when we put a lot of restrictions on to not go in any recreational zones, any protection zones, far away from villages, to close, um, very close to good connections, we see a potential of 20 gigawatt uh, of floating PV in the, in Germany, which is almost half of what has been installed and ground mounted so far. So um, there is really a big market for floating PV also in Germany. But yeah, the obstacles are there. We need to do a lot of education uh, with the authorities and also the, the communities to make them familiar with floating PV. Therefore, the project development to get all the permits in place is taking really, really a long time. So we're speaking there about uh, three to five years to get projects permitted. And permitting comes in the end always down to political decisions. So we really have to hope that they will adjust a little bit the, the regulations so floating PV can be permitted easier in the first place. And then also receive maybe some, some extra subsidies. I mean, in the Netherlands, we had some, some special subsidies for PV a few years back where floating PV what was made economical. And that's what we are still lacking here in Germany. So... There was no project development going on uh, a few years back, and now everybody is starting. So we really need to see how quick we can execute on that. And then we'll probably see uh, the bigger boom of floating PV towards the next years. And, you know, we talked about the, the Netherlands, which is seeing a lot of applications, a lot of projects rolling out, and then Germany, where we've literally just had the first one. I mean, how does that map look across the rest of Europe? We mentioned a number of different markets, or Villa mentioned a number of different markets. Are they, are they generally more at the stage Germany is at, thinking about it, putting in a first project, or are they more towards the, the Netherlands end of the uh, of the spectrum? 
Yeah, in France, there are a few projects already installed. Um, I think in the UK, they also have one project already, but all the other markets are also more uh, like in these early phases where they do the first pilot project, the first uh, projects to be implemented in those countries as really the permitting in all these countries takes quite some time. And some of those lessons learned then, Willem, that presumably, you know, you've been through um, as a market and we've been through as a company, which are now seeing other markets reaching those same questions and having those same discussions. Um, You know, what what are some of the key learnings from you over the last kind of four or five years that you've picked up in terms of how we can move forward floating PV at a greater pace? Indeed, it's a good question. And uh, yeah, a lot of learnings uh, out of that and, and in sort of different aspects. I guess when we started the first one i guess first of all sort of defining the right system finding the right system to uh, to build on uh, on water and uh, that obviously has taken a while to uh, to do uh, you know extensive research on what was best what was the best solution i mean there were a few products already out there but because didn't really comply to the standards uh, that um, that was required so uh, a separate or new system was developed as a result of that uh, which is uh, the one we've rolled out now in the Netherlands and uh, and in Germany, but with the I guess the idea in mind that this is like obviously ground mounted or any other solar uh, system a power generator, so it has to produce power and making sure that the power gets safe on shore. Um, so that was the idea I guess behind it. And then when starting to construct the first one, it was really figuring out how 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 do we do this? Like what is the best way to construct this? Um, with yeah, the first steps in terms of a uh, sort of conveyor belt kind of setup, um, building the solar boats as we use them, build them one by one slowly. And um, yeah, I remember the first, yeah, the first days, uh, you know, with the first floating PV plant in the Netherlands for uh, for Bijbegrunleven. Yeah, we built the first boat. I think it was one, maybe two boats in one day. Next day, a few more and a few more. So that process in itself, we learned a lot in speeding up the, the let's say, the production process. You know, looking at the last couple of plants where we've built, for example, the largest one we did in in seven weeks, 41 megawatts. And that's almost the same amount we took to build the first one of two megawatts. So that speed increased significantly. So that's a big learning um, to uh, to re- yeah, to be really agile in the construction part. Uh, then obviously on the permitting side, as mentioned a couple of times before, in the beginning, it was almost a little bit easier because it was new to a lot of authorities and you know, yeah, it's a boat, it floats. You don't need a lot of permits or you don't need a permit. So we got a lot of, I guess, subsidies to uh, to develop this uh, this system. But then gradually authorities came back and say, no, 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 this is, you know, you're building something, you need a building permit. Uh, we need to change the uh, uh, some other permits. So um, the permitting process became a little bit more complicated along rolling out these plants. Of course, we've gathered a lot of information and build up that knowledge database really well to provide the authorities all the right information. So that that, that was a big learning on the permitting side and, and we're still learning. Then other um, aspects, which I guess we've seen uh, with the rollout of PV in the Netherlands and, and, and the system we're using is that every project has improvements. So that's also great to see that we're learning from the first project, take the learnings to the second project, learn the second project, take the learnings to the third project and so on. So every plant basically has improvements and becomes better and better. So that's been a, a good learning and uh, also great to see that these, um, I guess, improvements, you know, have been taken uh, into account and implemented very quickly for the next uh, plant to be built. Then a lot of learnings around the anchoring. 
I mean, that's obviously a very important topic or a very important part of uh, of floating PV. So uh, we first, and again, I remember <laughs> the first days with uh, the first plant, it was pretty, um, well, I must say brutal uh, in terms of the anchoring uh, to the shore, very over-dimensioned, so to speak, and uh, yeah, big ropes and, um, of course, you know, not knowing exactly what kind of forces um, the system would um, would have on the on the anchoring ropes. But yeah, in the end, you know, that worked out all fine and, and, and it was there, but starting to develop that process as well, um, going from shore anchoring slowly to bottom anchoring, developing a special boat to, you know, do the bottom anchoring properly and, and very, um, um, yeah, securely, etc. So, those kind of things really helped as well in the, in the whole development and, and was a big learning. Uh, yeah, then in the operation as well of the plant, I guess we've learned a lot. Um, and now it's, of course, been about four years since the first plant uh, has been operational. A great, yeah, um, I guess, ride so far and, uh, and and very good to see that, like I said, every project, you take the learnings from the previous project and, uh, and you improve the process. So um, fantastic to see that. And you, and you mentioned about storms there. Yeah, storms, that's right. Uh, how, how resilient are they in, in, in bad weather, which could uh, yeah, get pretty bad, I guess? Yeah, yeah. Now, they are resilient. Um, we've had one incident um, where, I guess, and that's another learning, to be honest, um, where we've had a bit of um, misfortune, so to speak, and all the other plants, indeed. We obviously keep a close eye on um, on how they behave, partly due to, for example, um, the GPS sensors we've got installed on the plant to see the movement of the of the system, because there is movement, of course, in the uh, in the system with the anchor lines to allow for, you know, wind forces to uh, to play a bit there. But so far, yeah, no no issues. We've been on site when there was a big storm. It's amazing how quiet and stable uh, the system is. So. Uh, yeah, so far really so good, and and we've had a few serious storms. Um, one I can recall was, um, and that's yeah, even I guess more let's say precarious during the construction of one of the biggest plants uh, in the Netherlands in Zwolle, where during the construction phase I think we were only one third away, we had some serious uh, storms like Dennis and Cory I, re- I recall back then in 2020, um, which you know uh, wind speeds of uh, of plus 90 or 100 kilometers and uh, and it survived perfectly. So uh, that was good to see and, and a good lesson as well. It's proved its robustness. Yes, absolutely. And you know during that those four or five years in which this um, technology has really advanced it sounds like and Philip talked about construction time speeding up and I'm you know assuming efficiency is also kind of improved I mean how does that compare to say land-based solutions then in terms of construction time and efficiency is it is it comparable or are they quicker to build or I think I think the learning curve for ground-mounted PV is already getting quite to to its end um, so there's a lot of uh, improvement still possible in the floating PV system. So therefore, there the learning curve is, is still um, going up very steeply. And looking at the construction speed, um, as Willem mentioned before, 41 megawatt um, to be constructed in only seven weeks. That's much quicker than a ground-mounted uh, PV can be installed. And then Willem, you know, in, in, in terms of then the role floating PV can play, I mean, is, is, should we just be focusing on floating PV? Um, and, and this could basically negate the need for more land-based solutions or are we going to need both? 
Yes, uh, we are definitely going to need both. I mean, it's not the sole solution. It's part of the, let's say, energy mix or the renewable energy mix, a uh, floating place, uh, definitely a, a great role in that. But um, I guess without, well, I, I would now say better ground-mounted systems or uh, um, um, implementations and, uh, uh, of course, wind and other uh, renewable solutions. Um, uh, as you see now, I guess the battery uh, storage uh, coming up as well plays a, a really important role as well. So really a case, as, as we said in, in the introduction, of making the most of every opportunity we have to get more renewables onto the grid. Yeah, and I guess one thing I might add is that, um, of course, uh, we've, we've started on, uh, on, on sand pits with floating PV and there's still opportunity on, in those kind of um, locations. Um, but also looking at, I guess, different locations for floating PV uh, to expand there and uh, uh, on a larger scale. So... Uh, in that case, I guess you can think of uh, the really large water bodies that exist for um, uh, drinking reservoirs, like big, uh, uh, big, uh, big bodies of water there, that are um, available or possible to apply floating PV. There is the big sort of, well, sludge dredging depots. I guess um, there's a few big ones in the Netherlands where it's possible to put floating PV on, and then also I guess near shore or still inland, uh, semi-inland, uh, on the more saltier uh, air water bodies uh, that exist. And I guess not so much discussion today, uh, maybe, but um, then, of course, offshore. And there's a, there's a huge potential, but still in very, very early stage at the moment. Really? So that could be something that in the future, I was going to say, you've talked about near, sh- near shore, but offshore, I assume, then would probably be just a, you know, um, a whole different ball game. But that could be something we see potentially in the future. I think there is a lot of discussions of offshore floating PV going on right now. I just were, uh, was on the floating PV conference. There are several um, pilots now to be applied to test uh, how a floating PV site can survive in the offshore conditions. Because there, of course, you don't have much more solar radiance and then uh, inland. But of course, you have much higher waves, much higher winds. So the conditions are really much harsher than what we see on inland water bodies. And just to have the material survive these um, conditions is one challenge. And the second one is then how to get the electricity really produced efficiently there uh, and also then exported towards the land. So um, looking for, from the numbers they presented, I think that the real offshore applications for this huge potential will um, be more in the next decade than this decade. So we talked about a lot, a lot of benefits, um, and we talked about some of the obstacles and challenges, particularly around permitting, which seems to generally come back to a lack of understanding um, from authorities with this being such a new technology and how um, exactly um, planning permission should work. Um, but aside from that, and some potentially sort of wider concerns that people may have, such as impact on flora and fauna, and where um, this can come into conflict with recreational use. Has there been any work or studies looking more specifically at those areas? Um, Willem, if you wanted to take that one. Yes, absolutely. Um, There have been a lot of studies done, and we are involved in a lot of studies to understand the impact of floating PV on indeed the bodies of water and flora and fauna. On about four or five sites, we are studying the the water quality, so uh, really looking at uh, the level of oxygen, uh, water temperature, and a few other parameters to understand, okay, what's the impact of the floating PV plant on the water, and then have a, you know, measurement points right underneath the system, uh, and 
a reference point outside the system in the same water body to compare them to each other. And so far, uh, there really has not been a major difference in these measurements, fortunately. So I guess that's the positive part as well about the system that we use. It's a bit higher above the water. There's still free flow of wind, quite a bit of light still coming in. So um, uh, that has, a yeah, in, in that sense, a positive effect. Um, so from that perspective, uh, all pretty good. And then on the other hand, we've also done a study in two locations, uh, much broader, looking at uh, indeed flora and fauna, what happens, let's say, above the water and also what happens below the water. Again, I guess the conclusion was really, well, there were no red flags and not really negative. Tony, you wanted to come in on this as well? Yeah, just to just to summarize what Willem just said, I mean, maybe we could also say that like we are doing a lot of um, nature studies at the moment and we will also do a lot of studies uh, for the future. And of course, whenever mankind is doing some actions, there will be some reactions from nature. But what we see so far is that it's, first of all, not significant uh, if we put floating PV on there, that there's a no significant changes. And secondly, there are also some positive impacts coming from the floating PV on the environment. So in the end, we also have to compare it with um, not taking any actions or not installing any floating PV sites. That would also mean that we have to uh, still put more fire, more coal or more gas or whatever to supply our electricity needs. So therefore, um, also this is a positive impact from the floating PV to yeah, substitute other uh, energy carriers. So a lot of a lot of potential and studies so far not showing any adverse effects to date. Given that, what what do you see next for floating PV um, in terms of markets that are just starting or markets in the future? And we've not talked about North America or Latin America, for instance. Is is that somewhere we're going to see next? What could be around the corner for the technology as well in terms of where that's going? Tony, do you want to pick up on the uh, on, on the markets point? Yeah, I think uh, we will see a substantial rise of floating PV in the next years in, in the markets where we have floating PV already, like Asia or Europe, but also um, the markets like South uh, America and America will not get around it in demand. Um, also in, in these countries, especially in, in the United States and Texas, for example, you have huge uh, problems with, with droughts right now where the water bodies are getting emptied quite quickly. So therefore, it's also good to put floating PV on top and not only to generate a renewable energy electricity, but also to counteract evaporation. So there, two things can be um, achieved with just one application. Well, that's interesting. So um, we're talking, obviously, renewables and the climate crisis. And in many areas, we're going to see temperatures increasing and temperatures going up. And indeed, we're you know all around Europe at the moment, or many parts of Europe experiencing record temperatures. So floating PV on top of lakes can actually help reduce evaporation. And as temperatures go up, that will be another, you know, I guess, side benefit of, of installing the technology. Exactly. And, and Willem, on the technology point, I mean, five years sounds like a lot has happened in terms of uh, efficiency and, uh, and design. What do you see happening over the next five years in terms of where the technology is going or, or could be going? Well, of course, there will continue to be improvements made to, um, to, to the systems. You will probably see more competitors or other systems uh, coming onto the market on a more commercial scale. Um, there's a lot of players at the moment that... Um, uh, that are entering the floating PV market, so uh, every everybody with their own sort of view and uh, and take on on floating PV and how to best apply it. 
uh, and yeah, indeed, uh, I guess the the system that we are using, uh, of course, will will continue to be improved, uh, become more efficient and uh, and easy to install, because that will be another factor um, in 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 future uh, implementations to continue to look at, uh, at at price, of course, to make it possible also without subsidies in the end. I mean, that's one of the other big learnings, I guess, so far uh, that we've seen that we've we've needed we needed the subsidy uh, at the start to uh, to develop the technology and to become more efficient and to to make it cheaper and and and, and better and that's i think that that journey will continue to be able to do it without any uh, any support uh, from a subsidy and roll this out on uh, yeah continue to roll this out on on a larger scale combined with the other uh, i guess applications in the energy mix as mentioned before so we have a bright and, and floating future ahead of us absolutely Well, we are out of time on another podcast. Just leaves me to say thanks again to Tony and Willem for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed the episode and you can check out other podcasts and content at rethink-energy.com. Speak to you next time. Bye-bye.